Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Are all sins equal, and why does it matter? Since theology is more like music than calculus, imagine theology as a harp. The more strings that are in tune, the more celestial the song is. When Christians derive theology from the Bible, they are tuning their instrument. The Bible starts with God, Genesis 1-1, and then moves to his relationship with man. Defining sin is necessary to explain God's holiness. Defining God's holiness is necessary to explain his relationship with man. As to sin, some people argue that all sins are equal before God. They point to James chapter 2, verse 10, which says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. James is saying that if you commit one sin, you are guilty of all sins. And some argue that this must mean that sins, large and small, are equally damning, thus all sins are equal before God. We must train ourselves to turn to Scripture on all topics and apply its teaching deeper and broader than we are accustomed to doing. In addressing the issue of whether all sins are equal, we're not attempting disembodied theology. We are relocating human beings and human sinfulness in the framework of the Bible. So, first question, are all sins equal? Well, to set forth the Bible's teaching on this issue, it's necessary to identify at least six of the biblical principles on the subject. First, ultimately all sins are against God. Consider the sin of David against Bathsheba and Uriah. While David's troops were off fighting the Ammonites, David was at home taking it easy. He noticed his neighbor's wife, Bathsheba, bathing. Filled with lust, David ordered Bathsheba to be brought to him, where he then committed sexual sin against a married woman. After David learned she was pregnant, David ordered her husband, Uriah, placed on the front lines to ensure he was killed. This is a story from 2 Samuel chapter 11. Later, God used the prophet Nathan to convict David of his sin, at which point David wrote Psalm 51. He confesses his sin to God by saying in Psalm 51.3, Against you, you only, have I sinned. David intended harm against another human being. He didn't intend to sin against God, yet by sinning against Bathsheba and Uriah, he sinned against God. It reminds you of Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The second principle is that sin that is intended against God is worse than sin intended only to harm another human being. Consider the sin of Eli's sons in 1 Samuel 2. They were, according to 1 Samuel 2.12, worthless men. Worthless men who transformed the house of God at Shiloh into a Canaanite shrine of Baal worship, corruption, and immorality. We're told that the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. Why was it very great? Well, it's because, according to 1 Samuel 2.17, the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Eli then rebukes his sons, saying, in 1 Samuel 2.25, 
If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. So this means then that sins against the first five commandments are worse than sins against the next five commandments. Blasphemy against God is eviler than lying about your neighbor. Idolatry, in other words, spiritual adultery, is more wicked than adultery. Some sins will receive the double repayment of the Lord, says Jeremiah sixteen eighteen. The third principle is that some sins against people are eviler than other sins against people. The principle throughout the Mosaic Law is that the punishment should fit the crime. So we read in Exodus 21-24, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, foot for foot. This reflects the justice of God. The Lord says in Obadiah 15, As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. Thomas Aquinas explains, quote, Some sins are graver than others in respect of their species, as murder is graver than theft. Therefore, the gravity of sins varies according to their objects. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 83, asks, Are all sins equally evil? The answer is, In the eyes of God, some sins in themselves are more evil than others, and some are more evil because of the harm that results from them. Augustine's little book, The Enchiridion, is a handbook for the Christian life. He distinguishes great sins from small sins. One way to distinguish great from small sins is the intention and consequence of the sin. He uses the example of lying, saying some lies are worse than others based on the motive of the lie. He says that, quote, every crime is a sin, but every sin is not a crime, end quote. Great sins are not part of the normal pattern of Christian life, but small sins are. Augustine says that we ought to pray the Lord's Prayer daily. When we pray... Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. It's Matthew 6.12. We are praying about our small daily sins where we fall short and need forgiveness. The fourth principle is that sins committed by leaders are judged with greater strictness. James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. People follow the example of leaders. So when a leader sins, like see in 2 Samuel 16.22, people see, and they think they can do the same, as you see in 1 Kings 14.16. Jesus pronounced woe to the Pharisees, saying, You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourself nor allow those who would enter to go in. Micah denounced the rulers and prophets, saying, in Micah 3.4-5, Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets, who lead my people astray. Similarly, Jesus says that the scribes in Luke 20, 47, will receive the greater condemnation, because, as Luke 12, 48 explains, to whom much is given, much is required. See also Romans 2, 23-24. The fifth principle is that sins in knowledge are more wicked than sins in ignorance. Jesus concludes the parable of the wise manager by saying, in Luke twelve forty seven through 48 And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will, 
will receive a severe beating, but the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much they will demand the more. This principle helps explain Hebrews 10, 26-31, which talks about how when the person raised in the covenant home rejects the Lord, they earn, according to Hebrews 10, 29, much worse punishment. See also Hebrews 12, 25. Jesus denounced the cities that refused to repent even after they had witnessed his mighty works. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day, but I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. That's Matthew eleven twenty one through 24. Similarly, Jesus said of those who refused to receive his apostles, saying in Matthew ten fifteen, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Also, Jesus said to Pilate in John nineteen eleven, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Now, whether in that passage of Jesus with Pilate, whether he who delivered Jesus to death refers to Judas or Caiaphas, the point is that they are committing greater sin than Pilate. Why is it greater sin than Pilate? Well, it's because Pilate was not prepared to comprehend the truth about Jesus like the Jews were. As Romans 9, 4, and 5 explains, to the Jews belonged the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belonged the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all. And so it is that some sins are more heinous than others, as Leviticus 18, 24-30 reinforces. And sins in knowledge are worse than sins in ignorance. The sixth principle is that there is an unforgivable sin. Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 through 32, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Notice the distinction. What sin can be forgiven? Speaking a word against the Son of Man. What sin will not be forgiven? Speaking against the Holy Spirit. Well, the point for our purposes isn't to explicate the distinction, but to merely point it out, and in so doing point out that one sin is treated as worse, namely unforgivable, than the other sin, which is treated as forgivable. So, in summary, we see six principles. Are all sins equal? Well, we see these six biblical principles on the subject. First, ultimately all sins are against God. Second, sin that is intended against God is worse than sin intended only to harm another human being. Third, some sins against people are eviler than other sins against people. Fourth, sins committed by leaders are judged with greater strictness. Fifth, sins in knowledge are more wicked than sins in ignorance. And sixth, 
there is an unforgivable sin. And so, to the question, are all sins equal? Well, the answer seems to be no. All sins are not equal. But it's not that some sins are evil and others are not evil. It's that all sins are not equally evil in God's sight. And that takes us to our second and final question. Why does it matter? Why does it matter whether or not all sins are equal? Well, consider two things. First, it teaches us about discipleship. When Augustine distinguished between greater sins and small sins, he taught that great sins should be rare in the ordinary life of a Christian. Nevertheless, in the Old Testament, God warned against, quote, greater abominations, end quote. In Ezekiel 8.6, Ezekiel 8.13, and Ezekiel 8.15. In the New Testament, we see the Corinthian church so hardened to heinous sins that they not only tolerate, but boast in them. See 1 Corinthians 5, 1-8. We ought to talk about sin like God talks about sin. God's language about sin is designed to train and jolt us to detest that which God detests. This training is necessary to counteract the fleshly tendency to explain away sinful behavior with plausible excuses. If we talk, like Jesus, about greater sin, remember John 19.11, greater sin that leads to greater condemnation, as is mentioned in Luke 20, 47, won't some enterprising sinners justify the lesser sins? And therefore, isn't it dangerous to talk this way? Well, indeed, there is always a tendency within human beings to make light of those vices which are concealed. However, this tendency isn't justified by Scripture's greater-lesser-sin distinction. For instance, In Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 28, anger is a sin that can be concealed. Murder is not. Jesus saw it fitting to call each by its own name. And in so doing, it's not that anger is identical to murder or that lust is identical to adultery. Jesus' point in Matthew 5, 21 through 28 is that when each sin is forbidden under the category of murder or under the category of adultery, We are trained to see that anger and lust are both sinful in God's sight, even though anger and lust are two sins that usually are easily concealed. This helps the aforementioned enterprising sinner see the gravity of his concealed sin, which he previously justified. It's important to understand our sinful condition, because as John Owen wrote, quote, the man that understands the evil of his own heart, how vile it is, is the only useful, fruitful, and solidly believing and obedient person. The distinction between greater and smaller sins is also helpful in the practice of church discipline. The church administers discipline differently depending on if it is a private sin or a public sin. For private sins, i.e., if your brother sins against you in Matthew 18 15, Christ says, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. For those in persistent sin, Paul tells Timothy, 1 Timothy 5.20, rebuke them in the presence of all. Paul modeled public rebuke in the case where Peter sinned openly. Rather than admonish Peter privately, Paul rebuked Peter before them all, according to Galatians 2.14. To correct the greater sin of which the Corinthians boasted, Paul doesn't just exhort but punishes with excommunication, saying in 1 
uh, Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 13, concluding that section by saying, purge the evil person from among you. It's also the case that some principles of God's law are more important than others. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus admonishes the Pharisees for neglecting the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Jesus defines the lesser matters of the law as tithing mint and dill and cumin. Jesus affirms that the Pharisees ought to have done the more important things without neglecting the others. Hosea 6.6 is another example of God giving one part of the law precedence over another. God says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Yet, God also does desire burnt offerings, as we see from the detailed instructions on how they ought to be performed in Leviticus 1. This means that God desires love and sacrifice, but that doesn't mean that love and sacrifice are equal. God desires steadfast love more than he desires sacrifice. The second reason the question of whether or not all sins are equal matters is because it teaches us about the gospel. We saw earlier that sins in knowledge are more wicked than sins in ignorance. In particular, if you've received the means of grace in the preached word and the Lord's Supper, if you've learned the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer, if you've been washed in the baptismal waters, yet still reject Jesus Christ, then this is a sin in knowledge. The day of judgment will be more tolerable for Sodom than for you. Yet Christ still says in that same passage in Matthew 11, he still says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Why would Jesus say this even to those who committed the greater sin? It's because even when sins are unequal, they have the same remedy. Even when sins are different, they are, excuse me, even when sinners are different, they are saved in the same way, through the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All sins are mortal sins. Indeed, as Ezekiel 18.4 says, the soul who sins shall die. Sins, great and small, earn God's just wrath. The wages of sin is death, says Romans 6.23. Sin is rebellion against the will of God. God's judgment is pronounced upon all violations of his law. The point of James 2.10, quoted earlier, is that even a lesser sin is against God. Yet, the Lord declares in Ezekiel 33.11, As I live, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? When a sinner puts faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and in his righteousness, and in his promises, which are fulfilled in the new covenant, then it is, as John 3.18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. For, as Romans 1.17 says, therein the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The scripture, according to Galatians 3.22, imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And so a final word of wisdom from Augustine. Quote, Let us not bring forward false balances to weigh what we please and as we please, according to our own opinion, saying, This is heavy, this is light. But let us bring forward the divine balance of the Holy Scriptures, as from the Lord's treasury, and in that balance let us weigh what is heavier. No, not weigh, 
Rather, let us recognize what the Lord has already weighed. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. Oh, yeah.